0: We're going to be in Mark chapter 2 this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn there. How is your For the City emphasis coming for you personally? You can see over here just a weekly reminder of reaching out to the four people that are in our networks, family, neighbors, co-workers, and then somebody from some other recreational circle that you have. I have posted a resource, actually Nathan posted it because I'm not on Facebook, We posted a resource that I want you to go to our Facebook page and look at. It's also on my personal Twitter page, which is not a very exciting Twitter page, so you might as well just go to the Facebook page. But I've posted a resource that I want you to look at, and it is a resource that compares the gospel to religion. And it's a resource not only for you to use, but for you to use with somebody in your circle of influence. Because there's a lot of confusion regarding religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can take a look at that resource. I would encourage you to print it out. Know it well yourself before you go and share it with somebody in your network. Okay? I talked with a man just last week who felt convicted through this emphasis. He reached out to his brother, who he's had somewhat of an estranged relationship with. And he saw him for the first time in over six years. Because God is working on his heart. I met another lady who was outside talking with one of her neighbors. And she found out that her neighbor's father was dying. And she's going to have the opportunity, hopefully, to go and share the gospel with her neighbor's father. And then in my own life, my closest friend that I've known since the age of 12 told me in 2013 that he was an atheist. After making a decision in high school to follow Christ. It was a very, very difficult time for me. And I basically stopped talking to him about Jesus because I didn't want to bring up arguments or friction in our relationship. But I felt convicted through this emphasis to reach out to him and told him that I was continuing to pray for him and that I still have hope that one day he will profess faith in Christ. And he told me this. He said, anytime you want to talk about Christianity, you are welcome to do so. Now, he told me that he's a long way from professing faith in Christ. But that channel of communication is now open. So I am praying for you as you reach out to those in your networks. Make it a commitment. I believe that God is going to be intentional. We're going to be intentional, and God is going to honor us reaching out to these people. It might not mean that everybody comes to faith in Christ, but we are planting seeds. Now this morning, as we look at this story of transformation from Mark chapter 2, it's the story of the paralytic, a very well-known passage in Mark, Mark is the earliest gospel, most scholars think. Mark is really good about moving from one story to the next very, very quickly. His goal is to give you as much information about Jesus as possible. It's the shortest of all the gospels. It's 16 chapters, but everywhere you look in Mark, you find this phrase, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did this, showing us that Mark wants to communicate to his audience The vast nature of Jesus' ministry. So here we go, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Very, very well-known miracle of Jesus. He's moving from one location to the next. At this point in the Gospel of Mark... The word about Jesus is already out. He's everywhere. He's a celebrity. In fact, Mark tells us in chapter 1 that the people were coming to Jesus so quickly that he was having to go to desolate locations in order for people to be able to get to him. It was just simply too crowded in the city. And in the beginning of Mark chapter 2, Mark tells us that he returns home to Capernaum. And he's most likely trying to rest, but the people find out that he is there. And so they come to Jesus. Now let me give you a little bit of background on what's already happened to Jesus in chapter 1. Here's what he's done. He's taught in a synagogue. He's healed a demon-possessed man. He's healed a leper. He's healed Simon's mother-in-law. He's chosen disciples. All of that happens in the very first chapter of Mark. So by the time we get to chapter 2, I imagine Jesus is pretty tired, and yet these people come to him, and he teaches them, and they want to listen to what he has to say. And the reality is, one of the most impressive qualities to me about Jesus is that he was always available. Now, I understand that the Gospels are recording the highlights Of Jesus's life and so just because he moves from one miracle to the next doesn't mean that he's not sleeping doesn't mean that he's not eating or resting in fact all of the gospel accounts tell us that Jesus was very intentional about getting away and spending time alone with God the father but still Jesus is a very very available person and it's one of the qualities about him that I admire most the king of the universe, willing to heal and listen and preach and putting others in front of himself. One of the amazing things about Jesus' availability is it's convicting to me because as a society, we have kind of moved away from being always available. We're busy. Jobs, families, extracurricular activities. And so if we're not careful, even by accident, we can become very, very, very unavailable to those around us. We have to be intentional. We have to ask God to give us the emotional and the spiritual and the physical and the psychological energy to be ready when people come into our life, even if we're not ready or not, to share the good news of the gospel with them. Jesus was always, it seems from the gospels, available to those that came. But the most important characters in this story are actually the friends of this paralytic. Now, we don't know much about them. Mark doesn't tell us anything about the paralytics. All we know is that they have this friend that they seem to care an awful lot for. And so they go to Jesus. Not being able to get in through the door, they go upstairs to the roof. Now, I've given you a picture of what a roof in Jesus' day might have looked like. It is not a shingled roof. It is not a metal roof like we are used to today. But the roof would have been made from thick branches, beams laid over top with thick mud plaster to seal in the rain. So we're not talking about a roof that the friends just walked up on top of and removed pine straw in order to drop their friend down. No, this took work. It wasn't easy. But yet, they cared for their friend enough to do this. And then in verse 5, Mark uses this very, very small pronoun. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the paralytic. In other words, Jesus honored the faith of the friends in this story. You see... We don't know anything about this paralytic. We don't know if it was his idea to come to Jesus. Maybe it was. Or maybe it was completely the friend's idea. But we do know very clearly that Mark says Jesus saw the faith of the friends and healed the man as a result. Brothers and sisters, your friendships God can honor if you will be faithful in sharing the gospel and loving on those that need it. What about you? How many types of relationships in your personal life do you have like this? Outside of your family, who do you care about enough to do this type of thing for? Hey, outside of your family, who cares about you enough to do something like this? How many 3 a.m. relationships do you have? What I mean by that is when something tragic happens to you, Who can you call at 3 a.m. outside of your family to let them know what's happening? Who would call you and keep you informed about what's going on? What we have here is an example of deep, deep friendships. Friends that were willing to be vulnerable and transparent with one another. We have moved away from this as a society. Robert Putnam the great sociologist, wrote a book almost 20 years ago called Bowling Alone. Here's the premise behind this book. Putnam noticed that in American life, people were moving farther and farther away from community activity. He saw a decline in the amount of community activity that was happening across America. And so he uses the illustration of bowling to point this out. Because between 1980 and 1993, bowling leagues in America dropped by 40%. At the same time, the number of people that went bowling alone increased. In 13 years... Putnam noticed this deterioration of people wanting to be in community with one another. And he predicted almost 20 years ago what is currently happening today where families and friends gather around the kitchen table and they gather at restaurants and they spend more time looking at their device than they do conversing with one another. I'm guilty of this as well, so please hear me. I'm not shaming anyone in the room. But we have to be super intentional in this day and age, about making sure everybody feels a part of community. You've probably heard this phrase, it's very popular now, but we are now more connected than we have ever been before, and yet we are more isolated and more lonely as a society than we have ever been before. Who's responsible for fixing the lack of community that we feel in this country? You're looking at it. The church of Jesus Christ has to make sure that every single week when people come into this building, that they cannot leave without knowing that they are loved, that they are cared for, that they belong, and that we want them here engaged in what we are doing. It's our responsibility. Now, I bet that some of you, as you have begun reaching out to people In your four circles, I would imagine that some of you have dealt with a little bit of pushback. Maybe these coworkers, these neighbors, these family members, they're not quite sure why all of a sudden you're interested in them. They might think, I don't know what's up, but I don't trust this guy. But I want you to know something. I'd rather us be obedient to doing what God has called us to do. And be disobedient and just maintain the status quo. So as we reach out to our neighbors, as you invite them into your home, maybe you've lived next to them for 20 years and you've never done that before, it's okay. God is going to honor the intentionality that you are taking in reaching out to those people, that coworker, that family member. It's our job to make sure that people do not bowl alone through life. These four friends cared so much about the paralytic that they were willing to go to extreme lengths to make sure that he had an opportunity to meet Jesus, to be healed of his disease. And then we see the skeptics in this crowd, which are the religious scribes, those that knew the Old Testament law front and back. And they claim that Jesus is blaspheming. Why would they say that? Because they know that in the Old Testament, the only one who is able to forgive sins is God. And so when Jesus tells them, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic, they view that as blasphemy. Because Jesus is basically claiming that at this point, he is now God. And that upsets them. You're going to have people in your own life that question what you believe they might even question your sincerity in following Jesus they might doubt that Jesus was who he said he was and as you encounter these people let me encourage you to thank them for their honesty to thank them for being transparent with you not to present a list of arguments to prove your point not to win the argument but to thank those people for being honest with you about their struggles. Because if people are asking questions, if they're doubting, if they're searching, that means God is working in their lives. And so we want to be open. We want to keep the chains of dialogue going on as long as we can. The worst possible response a person could have to Jesus Christ is apathy. Jesus either leads you to worship him or he should infuriate you. But apathy is not a response to Jesus. So when people come to you, maybe they love him, maybe they hate him, but thank goodness they have some sort of response to him. And go from there. You know, it's sad that throughout the Gospels, the people that Jesus has to spend the most time with is not the Romans, it's not the Greeks, it's the Jewish people. It's the religious people. He is constantly correcting the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that knew the Old Testament and knew the law well. He spent so much time correcting their beliefs. You know, Pew Research came out with a research study about five years ago now, so it's a little dated. And it surveyed religion across the entire country. And only 3% in that survey responded that they are atheists. 4% responded that they are agnostic. So only 7% of that survey population in America claimed that they either don't believe in God or that they don't believe that there is a God that's really involved in what is happening in the world. Now this was five years ago. Those numbers have probably increased a little but I still believe that we're dealing with a population who is very, very religious but does not understand the truth of the gospel. That means these people that you're investing in, maybe they're religious, but do they know the gospel? Maybe they attend worship, but do they know who Jesus is. You see it's our responsibility to make sure that people have an accurate understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is. Not our opinion about him, not what some TV show or book says about him, what the word of God clearly says about who Jesus is. I'm convinced that the majority of people that don't believe in God, it's not that they don't believe He exists, it's that they're uninformed about who He really is. So we come alongside people, and we don't tell them our opinion about God or Jesus. We show them, through God's Word, who He is. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book is a breathing, living organism. When you open it, you will be changed. If we believe that as those in the church, why would we not want to take this truth to those outside the church? We have to share the word of God with people. We have to show them who Jesus is. Not our opinion about him, but what the gospel writers tell us about who he is. So recognize the skeptics and realize that many of them want God. They're just uninformed about who he is. And lastly, I want you to see that this is a story about forgiveness. If you leave today and all you see is a man who was healed of his paralysis, you have missed it. Because in the Old Testament, there is always a link between disease and sickness and healing and forgiveness. So when Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven... And then later tells him, rise, take up your bed and walk. He is simultaneously addressing the physical issue and the spiritual issue within this man's life. Forgiveness is what this story is all about. You know, psychologists study the effects of forgiveness. And there's been study after study that show that people who are willing to forgive have less stress less anxiety, less depression, less hostility, less bitterness. But those that struggle with forgiving have higher levels of depression, higher levels of anxiety. Some even exhibit traits of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Forgiveness is a huge component of the gospel message. And when Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven, it changes his life. Now imagine with me for a moment, after the man is healed and he stands up and his feet touch the ground for the first time and he can feel his feet and he wiggles his toes and he stretches out his leg completely, maybe for the first time after being paralyzed. And he picks up his cot and he walks out of that room. He has been forever changed. But not just physically. He was changed spiritually. God had forgiven him. Many of you are aware of the tragedy that occurred at Michigan State University with Dr. Larry Nasser, abused over 150 gymnasts over two decades as a team doctor. He was sentenced to over 175 years in prison. He'll never get out. Shortly before he was sentenced, they invited any that wanted to come of the victims so that they could share with Dr. Nasser in the courtroom their experience. Many of you have seen clips, but one of the most well-known gymnasts that day was a lady by the name of Rachel Denhollander. And the reason she's become so well known is because in her remarks to Dr. Nasser, she explicitly said that she forgives him. She was asked later on in an interview, How are you able to forgive somebody who did this to you? I want to read to you what she said. It means that I trust in God's justice. And I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him. And I trust God's justice, whether he chooses to meet that out purely, eternally, or both in heaven and on earth. somebody who went through a terrible ordeal, stood in a courtroom full of people, maybe some who were believers in Christ and some that weren't, and spoke with her own mouth, I forgive this man for what he has done to me. I don't pretend to know everything that has happened to everyone in this room. And the heartache and the sadness Maybe the bitterness and the anger that you have had to experience and go through as a result of somebody doing wrong to you. But I do know this. If we're going to share the gospel, if we're going to model Jesus, we have got to learn to forgive. And it's hard. Have you ever heard the saying, Forgive and forget one of the biggest lies you could ever believe. Because even though those of you in this room have forgiven people that have wronged you, I guarantee you, you have not forgotten. But Jesus, when he forgives us, changes everything. And if he can stand on a cross... As the very people that are crucifying him and killing him, and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, then we have to begin the process, the journey of learning how to forgive others. You know, having unforgiveness in your heart is like a bird trapped in a cage with clipped wings but through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we can learn to both receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness to others, the cage is opened and we can fly like we have never flown before. And the only way we can learn this type of forgiveness is through the gospel. We cannot do it on our own. Jesus has the power To forgive. So this morning, there's three responses. Number one, who do you need to extend forgiveness to? Is there anybody that you are holding bitterness and hostility and anger towards? Number two, who do you need to go to and ask forgiveness yourself? Is there anybody in your life that you have wronged? And then number three, I know there are people in this room this morning that believe that they have done such bad things that God could never forgive them. And let me tell you, that is a lie. From the first page of this book to the end, it is a story of God's redemption and God's forgiveness for all people, regardless of their past, present, or future circumstances. We serve a God who forgives all. Loves all unconditionally. So fly. Fly like you've never flown before because you're willing to receive the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ offers. Bow your heads with me this morning. God, we thank you for this story. Yes, it's a story of physical healing, but it's also a story of spiritual redemption. God, thank you for the freedom that we have in you. God, search our hearts. If there are people that we need to forgive, help us through the power of your Spirit to do it. If there's people we need to go ask forgiveness for, help us do it. And God, if there are any here this morning who feel like they are not worthy of forgiveness and your love. May you help them to feel your spirit moving in their hearts and minds this morning. God, we love you. You are an awesome, awesome God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.